Hello, welcome to another VW podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And we are sitting here with our fancy new equipment. Very fancy. We have actual mic stands. And headphones. And headphones. How's it sound? Uh, Can you hear me now? No. (laughs) That would be incredibly frustrating. So we're here in the VW podcast studio, which is currently undergoing a makeover, but I think all for the better. If there are any clients out there who are interested in using the VW podcast studio, please reach out to us. We're happy to try to accommodate that podcast. Minimal fee. Minimal fee, sure. Just, you know what, if you're paid up on your invoices, uh, that's probably enough. Podcast at Vela Wood Law. But this is the Office Hours podcast, and Aaron and I are doing a series called Preparing for Funding. So far, we've done three we did one on incorporation, then we did two over founders agreements. And I want to clarify something because I did have a client reach out to me and say, hey, can I get a copy of a founders agreement template? So I want to be clear that when we talk about founders agreements, we're not talking about a single agreement or document. We're it, talking about, go ahead, Aaron. It's a category of documents. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. It's a category of documents, which would typically include, Aaron? Vesting, intellectual No, no, property. which, which documents oh. are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about restricted stock purchase agreements. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, you know, confidential information and invention assignment agreements. We're talking about everything founders will enter into with the company and with each other. So, yeah, great way of putting it. We're talking about a category of documents. As Aaron mentioned, there's two basic ones that most companies, most people will be signing if they're a corporation, and that's going to be your confidential information and invention assignment agreement, or as we're now calling it, the founder's IP assignment agreement. And then secondly, your restricted stock purchase agreement, which is how the founders get their initial grants of shares, but then there's restrictions around those. I think we should go back to confidential information and inventions. C-I-I-A-A? Yeah, the longer the name, the more we can charge for it. And so, you know, it just makes it sound more complicated. Make sure you're checking your invoices, clients for that. So that's what we mean when we talk about founders agreements. They're a category of agreements. We did two podcasts on that. Today we're talking about friends and family investors. Sometimes I call it friends, family, and founders rounds, right? right? This is your initial money in usually needs to come from the founders or it's going to come from friends and family. So there's a lot of benefits to friends and family investors. There's a lot of cons to friends and family investors. We just kind of want to run through some of those. So I'll start with the benefits. The benefits are there's usually not a whole lot of selling to friends and family, yeah. meaning they know you, they love you, they're investing because of you, maybe not necessarily the idea. Uh, there's usually not a lot of negotiating or haggling. We see some guys come in here with some ridiculous terms that their mom or their aunt or their fraternity brother agreed to, uh, terms that would never fly at, a, at the angel level or at the institutional level. So those are the benefits, usually easy money in. Aaron, what are some of the downsides of friends and family well, investors? I, I think you just mentioned one. It's the ease of getting that money in. There's not really a negotiation. And that can be to your advantage at the beginning, but then when you go out and raise your next round, now you have a company that's not generating any revenue, but somehow you've convinced your friends and family to invest at a $15 million valuation. And the market is going to say, okay, well, no, you don't have any revenues. We're looking at a $3 million valuation. So that can cause some problems in terms of next round financing. So that's one of the problems there is disproportionate or bad valuations to where you have to have a down round, right? And down rounds could look really bad. And questions people ask a lot of questions about them. So a lot of times we'll just reset the valuations yeah. of the initial funding. Another issue is uh, SEC or state securities laws. Uh, I hate to say it because these things, I feel that sometimes they are more constrictive than constructive. However, we need to be very clear the laws exist and you need to abide by them. And 
it's it's not that hard to follow them appropriately, especially for early stage companies. But it, a lot of people is just if you're skip trying them. to interpret them. Yeah, yeah, that's what you need us for. But a lot of people just skip them all together, and that's where you get in trouble. So with a little bit of investment and some conversations with your attorney, you can make sure you're properly complying with SEC laws. Now, where this really comes into effect, because I don't think the SEC is out there looking at every friends and family around, or if they even know about it or care about it. But where this comes into play is later stages of funding. You yeah. know, when you've got a say you're doing a series a round you're some vcs writing a four million dollar check and they have a, a very experienced and sophisticated law firm doing their work for them that law firm is going to go and they're going to look at every purchase agreement every stock purchase agreement every issuance and then they're going to looking for uh sec filings and and if you're thinking to yourself as a founder this isn't i'm not selling securities i my my mom loaned me fifty thousand dollars and she's going to convert into equity newsflash that's that's a security. That's the, a great point. The definition of a security is a very broad definition. Yeah, pretty much includes anything that you're doing. It's going to be a security. Now, not everything has to be filed with the SEC, and there's certain exemptions available under the law, and you probably want to identify those exemptions and have a, a board write-up to make sure you know what you're utilizing. But we want to be clear that you need to know that those exist. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of literature out there on the internet which could be helpful and educational. You should not be relying on it just because you read it. I would never encourage a client to try to undertake these things on their own. Any sort of SEC or state securities board filings, you you definitely want counsel on that. However, I want to be clear: if you have good venture counsel, these things are not hard to do. Down the road, I would also say one of the sort of disadvantages of friends and family around is a messy cap table. Yeah. It is, you know, you're going to get a lot of 5,000, 10,000, $25,000 investors. And yeah, you need that money starting off, but down the road when, you know, somehow you've agreed to a right of first offer to all of your friends and family shareholders, now you're trying to raise a $2 million round and you've got to go to a $5,000 investor and either get them to waive their preemptive right or they're going to participate for their pro rata portion so i think you just covered two examples aaron that i want to dive into that small investors or friends and family investors can uh, cause problems on the, or how they can cause problems on the cap table the first is just a messy cap table it's it's just hard to keep track of vcs don't want to come in here and see a lot of people when they see a lot of people on the cap table every single one of those lines in the cap table a vc is thinking that's an audit risk right there because I got to go check their docs. Were they accredited? Did they sign the docs? That's potential litigation risk because if they didn't sign any of those things or if they weren't accredited or if they weren't provided with appropriate information before making the uh, making the investment, they might have some sort of claim against the company. And then finally, this is going to be a transactional risk because as Aaron mentioned, we have to go chase them down to get their consent. Uh, not to mention, they just could be a pain in the ass risk, meaning are they calling the founder all the time saying, hey, what's going on with the company? Can I get an update? Can I come by and you know help pick out the next... Uh, you know, product idea or whatnot. Or if you're just trying to get them to sign something and they, they're the one last shareholder that needs to sign a document and they're saying, well, no, let me get you know my lawyer to look at this. Listen, I have no problem with you wanting a, a lawyer to review it, but at the end of the day, we're trying to operate quickly here and there's a risk that we're going to lose this funding if we don't get everybody to sign off. So it tends to be the smaller investors that are the bigger pains. Right. So let me give a real world example of that. Now, first of all, understand we are operating or we are discussing situations where people are putting five, ten thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars into early stage companies. First of all, that is significant and that helps these companies grow without that early stage com- capital startups are never going to get going. I don't want to discount that and say that it's not a big deal that these people invested these amounts of money, right? Those are material. 
However, in the landscape of venture capital, that check hopefully will be a tiny, tiny, tiny check in the life cycle of your startup's funding history. And we want to help you be prepared for how to raise significant capital in the future. So we just had a, an exit, Aaron, you know, a, a small exit, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars. Um, a, a fantastic exit, right? I mean, some of these founders are now millionaires for the first time. So I don't want to um, give the wrong impression. But in the startup landscape from where these investors had invested, it might not have been a home run. But heck, man, we see so many zeros that a nice single or double is pretty good from time to time. So we just had an exit and we were at the closing table. Wires are ready to go out. We are talking about people are making millions of dollars. The key investor is making millions of dollars and a $10,000 investor cannot be found. And we had been tracking this guy down and asking him to be ready to sign it. And he had signed off on everything and said, yes, I will be ready to sign. And the purchaser is just sitting there with their fingers on the wire trigger, blowing up the client, blowing us up, texting the pair or calling the paralegal calling their counsel at their firm why isn't this guy signed why isn't this guy signed so that's why early stage or friends and family invest investors can be frustrating or difficult to the extent that when, when you get to the closing table and you're ready to fund as aaron mentioned or you're ready to close a you know an, an exit transaction you don't want those guys holding you up so those are some of the risks or problems but let's talk about how to mitigate those so aaron let's talk about best practices for doing friends and family investors i'll start with one okay get everything in writing yeah. Right. None of this stuff. Well, my dad lent me 50 grand and it was a loan. First it was me for 5% equity, but then he said it's a loan. I can pay him back whenever, but I don't, you know, it kind of changes and I talk to him when I see him at Christmas. Right. That just, that doesn't fly. Any later stage investor doing due diligence is going to ask you questions about. So that's the first one, Aaron. Yeah. I'll add on to that real quick. Get it in writing. And if they want to change it, you can change it. Just right. change it in writing. Great point. Just make sure that, you know, whatever the final agreement is, it's in writing. You know, and this is something, if you need 50 grand from your dad to get this thing started, you don't have to hire a lawyer for that. Get it in writing. You can probably find some some resources online if it's coming from, you know, your father. Now, once you start going out to people who are your friends or people who you may not know all that well and we get into real securities issues, you need to go visit with an attorney. And candidly, if you came to us and you said, hey, I'm just launching my company, my dad's gonna give me 50 grand, I think we'd get, give you enough information to put you on your way for a fraction, a very small bill or even no bill. Just say, here's best practices, call us in six months. But we would be happy that you're taking the right steps. I would say another sort of way to mitigate the the issues that arise with friends and family rounds is doing it through a safe or a convertible note, note or even common stock. So man, that's what I was going to get to is, you know, what is just use a safe or yeah. convertible note, the common stock. Yes. Common stock. Then it starts to screw with your uh, options pricing, right? Because right. now you right. have valuation on common and I would prefer to leave everyone out of common. Just get all your investors into one group. So a safe or a convertible note, and we will put links to, to what these are at the, in, in the show notes. I am really, really falling in love with safes for early stage investors. Yeah, and, and to sort of explain why safes are so great, it kicks the can down the road mm -hmm. in terms of valuation, in terms of preferences, in terms of all of those things that you would have to negotiate with a preferred equity investor. It kicks it down the, the road and says, okay, we're going to put our money in now and the company has an obligation to convert our 
contractual obligation into equity at the next equity financing when the company issues preferred stock. And then you let sort of the later investors, the perhaps you know more sophisticated seasoned investors. Or just a bigger round, right, yeah. Aaron? Right. It was just a bigger round. It makes more sense to I me. Mean, if you come to us and you say, I want to do a small common round for 10 grand or for 50 grand, excuse me, or even a small preferred round, we're probably gonna say, man, the legal costs aren't gonna justify that. An early stage preferred round, even if you're just raising a hundred grand, I mean, it's it's hard to do that thing for less than seventy five hundred bucks. You might be yeah. looking at twelve grand just to do it right. I know it seems sounds like a lot. On our end, we're squeezing that. We're trying to be as efficient as possible because we know that when you raise a larger round or you have an exit, if we don't have these documents in place, then that could kill a deal. Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of times people have a problem with the cost. Why does it cost so much? This is an easy transaction. It is an easy transaction today. What it's not is an easy transaction to justify or to explain down the road without having the proper documentation in place. So big fan of safes and convertible notes for early, early stage. Now let's talk about convertible notes for a sec because I want to qualify that as Aaron's giving me an evil eye. You don't want to have too many convertible notes or even really too many safes. You know, I don't even know if, it's, if we should say the problem Aaron is convert on those are safes. You just don't want to have too many small investors. That's really the problem. Even if they're big investors, I have seen two instances in the last week where we have a company that has issued 25, 30, 35, even upwards of 50 convertible notes, safes, kisses. And now we're at an equity financing stage and trying to get all of those note holders, safe holders, kiss holders, track them down, say, here's what we're converting you at, you know, sign off on this. It is a nightmare. I agree, Aaron. Let's have, let's push that conversation. Let's have it a a little more in depth at the initial investors in two weeks, right? Because I do want to talk about why that is. Because I, I don't want to come out and say, don't use convertible notes for safes. No. I don't think that would be a good counsel. And I don't want to come out and say, use nothing but convertible notes and right. safes. So there is a happy medium there. This is where I think our value really is. Because yes, a lot of the documents we use are standard standardized documents. But understanding the push and pull of the right numbers, the right balance of investors, how many, how much, that's really where a good venture attorney can help. Everything in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. So friends and family investors, uh, the next point I want to make about them is don't forget to communicate with them. Don't forget at all. I see a, a lot of times people come in here and they say, well, last Christmas I was able to raise a hundred grand at my family reunion. And then it's two years down the road and uncle Joe, who you only see every couple of years is calling saying, Hey, what's going on with my $25,000 or he needs his $25,000 back because he hasn't heard from him. And you thought, well, he's family, so he doesn't need to. Treat your friends and family investors as a dry run for your more sophisticated or institutional investors. And what I mean by that is proper paperwork and documentation, constant and consistent information. Check out AngelSpan out of Austin. They provide that. Check out our blog on keeping your investors updated. This should be at least once a month, though I think once a week. If you're early stage, yeah. If you're early stage, right? Once a week is great. Because not only does it keep them updated, but keeps you accountable for providing them information. And also, if you're going to try to say you don't have time to do that, that's a lie. That's you a have lie. time. Yeah, it you, takes it takes five to ten minutes to send out an email update. Say, here's what's going on. Here's the good, the bad, the asks. But the synthesizer you you summarizing that information is probably even more valuable than actually sending it to the investors just right. for you to think through it. Yeah. Okay. So the good things about friends and family investors, right? The the time to close should be less. The negotiation should be less. They're going to be a, a part of early stage companies. You want to do it in moderation, as Aaron mentioned. You know, make sure you're not just taking on everyone who will write you a five thousand dollar check. That's a terrible idea. 
but make sure you get their agreements in writing. Try to use simple investment tools like a safe or convertible note. A lot of friends and family investors, a lot of people say, well, my investors don't understand that. Educate them. Send them to our website. We have plenty of resources on this. Trust us. Educate them. And then the last thing is keep them informed. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to wrap up our podcast on friends and family investors. This is a part of preparing for funding. Our goal is that after listening to these podcasts, an early stage company will be ready to go take on its first round of institutional funding, or we'll call it angel funding. In close, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can email us your thoughts, comments, or questions to podcasts at VelaWoodLaw.com. We do provide show notes, and these show notes are going to be in the link in the iTunes episode. If you look at the uh, episode description, click on the link there. Check out our blog at VelaWoodLaw.com. The show notes include defined terms, a lot of which are referenced from our sister site, VentureGlossary.com, and they include related content. And Aaron, you're still here, right? Still here. Remember, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Look for the Office Hours podcast. Five stars only. Here's some music for you. podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at